0: going to uh, transform us through, and we're going to start in these three verses, uh, verses one through three, and by the end of this morning, we're going to actually get back to these three verses, or verse three, and... um. And my goal this morning is really to give us an overview of the book of Ephesians as we're going to be in this book for the next couple of months. Very excited, but I want to really share what I see as four theological emphases in this book, and I want to talk about why they're important to your life. Why is it important that we read the book of Ephesus? Why can it change me? Why can it transform my life? And, um... You know, we're, we're calling this uh, series Transformed, but I really want you to understand something because it would be very easy to think with the new year and the new season that what I'm saying is that we need to now be transformed. It's a new year. Let's be transformed into new people. But what you need to understand, especially if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, is that what this book says is that you are already transformed, And there's times when it might not feel like you're transformed, and there's times where you might not act like you're transformed, or I don't act like I'm transformed, but the fact is that Jesus has already changed you. And we must continually remember and remind ourselves that you are already a transformed person in Christ Jesus and I believe as we remember that this is because of Jesus it's all because of you Jesus I believe that it will affect everything in our lives whether it be our average everyday life in the steps that we always are taking or or something on a Sunday or whatever it might be I think that that as we understand that that Jesus has transformed us that we won't just think like I'm a transformed person or I'm a new person but we will live like we are transformed people. And I believe that in 2017 that I'm going to live like I've been transformed. Not that He is going to transform me, but I have already been transformed in Christ Jesus. But let's start with prayer. Father, I thank you so much for everything that you have for us. God, we come expectant knowing that you have uh, this great book for us to dive into and to understand and to learn about God and and the direction and the themes that you're going to speak to every single one of us, whether they be um, unified, whether it be just for us individually, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you would would speak to every single one of us, Lord, that we would open our minds, that we'd be uh, willing to receive, whether it be painful, whether it be um, stretching, whether it be uncomfortable, whether it be uh, just exciting and joyful, whatever it might be, Lord that we would be willing and ready to receive from you would everyone just say with this with me lord i receive receive from you this morning morning. so we ask these things and we believe that you are going to that you have transformed our lives and that you're going to teach us in your name and everyone said Amen. amen well now that the the holidays are over the trees are gone um, the, the Christmas music is, uh, gone for another year. Sorry, Gina, but it's gone. You you got about 12 months. Um, I, my, my wife and I are sort of funny with gifts. We usually just buy ourselves stuff and not buy each other stuff. I mean, we say, oh yeah, that was from me. That was from you whatever. Um, but we always really do it. We don't even do it on Christmas. We do it, um, on, uh, on Black Friday. Like, does anyone else do Black Friday here? Yeah. Now it's actually Thursday, so I don't even know what they call it anymore—like Thursday—or it's way too close to Thanksgiving, and my, my dad hates it; he, he it drives him crazy. But um, I went to Best Buy and I got myself a new iPhone. So I got an iPhone Seven. Uh, really, the reason—thank you, yes, yeah, go go Apple—you uh, run our lives. Um, <laughs> I, we had Verizon, and Verizon didn't work at our house, so it was like, okay, well, we got to go somewhere else. And so they had this great deal, so I went to Verizon, and I, and I really, I wanted the iPhone uh, 7 Plus. I really wanted to get the, the big iPhone that is like awkward in your in your pocket. And isn't it great how like Apple makes us think like forever? It was, I want a smaller phone. It's a razor. It's so tiny you can barely hold it in your hand. And then Apple's like, no, you want a big phone. And I'm like, yes, I do actually. <laughs> <laughs> I want the biggest phone possible. <laughs> like. Yeah, Samsung too. It's just like crazy. Thank you technology companies, you win again, and you're telling us exactly what, what we want. Um, but I got the 7, and I love the 7, and it fits in my pocket, so I've been, like, broken of the the chain from what Apple was trying to tell me. Uh, but my cousin was telling me all about the cool things about the iPhone 7, and there's, there's so many things with the camera that are neat, and there's, like, the stabilization, so if my hands are shaking, because I shake a lot, um, <laughs> like, it, like, doesn't shake when you're trying to do videos. Like, we did this, uh, have you guys heard of, like, the... Um, what is it called? Mannequin videos? Mannequin videos. I really want to do one at the church sometime, but I just got to figure out how we're going to do it. But it's going to be cool when we do it. Uh, But he was telling me about that, and I was looking through the features on the camera, and there's like time-lapse, there's slow-mo, there's photo, there's video, there's square, there's pano, which is short for panoramic. Um, And honestly, like, we take so many pictures now. I was looking through my pictures when I was transferring them over. I was like, what in the world am I going to do with all these pictures? Like, seriously, what is the point of having a picture of a weird cloud? Like, or, or a weird leaf? I'm looking through, I'm like, why did I take a picture of a leaf that looks like a donkey? Like, it doesn't make sense to me, but I mean, seriously, in 10 years, am I going to look at these pictures and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that I saved that picture? <laughs> or like, slow-mo, like, Back in the 80s when I was a kid, the only slow-mo that you ever saw was like Michael Jordan jumping from the free throw line to do a dunk. And now I'm like, kids, jump off a picnic bench. I'm going to get you in (laughs) slow-mo. Like like when they're 30 and 40 years old, I'm going to be like, hey, kids, gather around. I've got you in slow-mo. You're jumping off a picnic bench. It's awesome. Like, like, of course, I know that's so weird, but, like, we do. it. And so, like, the only thing I really use is Pano because there's, like, the, um, what is it called? Time-lapse. Every time I try and use time-lapse, it, like, shows nobody. Like, there's nothing there. And I'm like, I don't understand. But so Pano is really my favorite because it makes me feel uh, really um, artistic. And, like, you can get this, like big wide uh, view of everybody and, and I want to try it. Um, uh, there's a game I play with Pano and it's how fast can I do a Pano all the way around because there's like this arrow and you have to keep it on the yellow line and I like really got good at it in the last month like how to do it. So I'm going to do a Pano of you guys. Is that okay? All right. All right. So we're going to start over here. Ready? And Okay. Okay. Ready? You can, you can smile or you can just look at me. Okay. Ready? <laughs> All right, cool. See? I'm pretty good at I'm pretty fast at it, and you guys look good, so I'll, I'll put that on, on later. Um, but I love this idea of, of Pano, and, and as I'm reading through Ephesians, and I'm trying to really get a grasp on God, what are you trying to, to teach us during this season where uh, it, it's a new year, and um, God, I believe, and just seeing that he has some amazing things for us in the future, I'm like, God, what are you, you saying to us? And I'm reading through the book of Ephesians a, a couple of times, and I keep getting this idea of a panoramic view, and, and I keep, this keeps popping in my head, and I'm reading through the scholars and some of the things that they said of why they love the book of Ephesians, and one said it really it plays out like a panoramic view. Another one said it's like a flyover of the Christian faith. Uh, Another guy, I love this, he said, it's like a 30,000-foot perspective on what Jesus has accomplished for us as believers. That's amazing. Uh, John Calvin uh, said that this was Paul's pristine work. He did 48 sermons on the book of Ephesians in three years. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, if you know who that is, uh, one of my favorite um, authors to read, said it was the finest work on divinity in all of Scripture. And I think a lot of us, we look at the Bible, and, and if you've read or studied the Bible, we, we think, oh, well, Romans is really uh, the, the perfect book um, that, that Paul wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, when I'm thinking about it, like, Romans and Ephesians, they're actually somewhat similar. Um, but when I look at them, Romans is 16 chapters and Ephesians is 6 chapters. And so I, I like reading less. <laughs> and I, just... just <laughs> Like, so it's like a flyover. It's like the cliff notes for the book of Romans. Um, and you look, it's the first three chapters are very theological. The l- last three chapters are very practical. And looking at the history, it's not even just written for Christians. It was written to a city that was full of diversity, uh, culture, ethnicities, religions, um, This man named Apollos, he he actually starts this community of believers, which would have taken a lot of guts in this time, in this place. Um, And Paul, he sees that this book, or this city is so important and so crucial that he actually writes a six-chapter letter that would end up being um, circulated. It was meant for the Ephesians, the people of Ephesus, but then it was meant to be um, circulated around all of Asia. And so this is a book that's primarily for um, the people of Ephesus, and the a little history on the book, Ephesus is going to they didn 't know this at the time, obviously but it 's going to become a hub, the hub for evangelizing all of asia that, that starts and really the city where that goes out of is in ephesus and and you look and see the the makeup of Ephesus and the church there and, and one of the reasons I love the the whole dynamic of Ephesus is because of the Paul and Timothy uh, relationship. Paul, he visits, and he ends up staying there three years, and he realizes it's, it's so important for this church to be strong that he ends up uh, becoming the pastor there. Then he calls Timothy, uh, who's in Corinth, and then he brings Timothy into pastor Ephesus. Um, they actually excavated a huge amphitheater in Ephesus and from different historical writings what it leads us to believe is that there is this huge 24,000 seat amphitheater in Ephesus and what we believe happened was there were times where the church became so powerful and so big that they would pack out this amphitheater with Christians there in the city. I mean, talk about the first megachurch. This isn't just something that happens today in America. Like This is something where people from all over would come, and it ends up changing the entire spiritual dynamic for all of Asia. And, And so you can look at the book of Ephesus and realize how critical of a letter this really is. And part of the reason it was so critical for Paul to go there and, and to be established and then even to bring Timothy over was because they had little knowledge of Christianity. These were not just Jewish people. This wasn't a Jewish culture. This was a, a, a Gentile, a, a Greek area. And so you, you look, and they, they didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know about the promises and the law and all that stuff. They didn't have those dynamics. And really, if you lived in Ephesus, you were probably very entrenched in magic. In um, mysticism, the goddess that they worshipped was called Diana. And Diana was actually, she had two names, two names that uh, we use quite often, Lord and Savior. That's what they called her. She was proclaimed their Lord and Savior. She was beloved by all of Ephesus. Everyone loved her there. Uh, their temple toward, to her was actually noted by um, Uh, writers of the day as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world this this place and so many of the jesus followers of this day they used to be diana followers they used to practice magic and so you look in the world of roman greek mythology and and a lot of what they thought and what they believed in in their religion was based off of fear and uncertainty And um, just not really knowing if the gods were going to attack you or love you or hate you based off of what you did and really what you did determined your fate. And so if you didn't sacrifice at the temple, if you didn't worship at the temple, if you didn't do enough for Diana, then you would actually become physically cursed. You would become ill, you would have disease, there would be death, pain, agony in your family and in your life. And so this is the audience that God is addressing through Paul. And, and so you, you look and, and you can really understand that, that Paul, he's telling these people that there's these gods, that, this god Diana that they've related to and they've understood all of the world, their worldview based off of this goddess, but, but Jesus, he's nothing like that. And so the themes going into the book of Ephesus, we have to understand that, that these people had this mindset that, that Jesus now is fundamentally different than the religion and the gods that you have worshipped for your entire life in many of the, the circumstances. And so... This is what Paul's dealing with, and, and I see it as so relevant to us today because these people are entrenched in becoming very defensive, not knowing if they are going to be cursed by Diana or not. They they live this defeated life where everything's based off of the emotions and the whimsical um, thoughts of of a, of a goddess. Uh, they they lived in a powerless state of, in a powerless state of mind, and, and can you imagine coming out? of this worldview where all, every single day you, wor- you woke up worried, fearful, defensive about what was going to happen to you that day. Now thinking like, I don't do everything right, and, and if I don't do everything right, these Ephesians who have now become Christians, now they're thinking, Jesus is going to curse me. And if I don't go and pray enough, then, then I'm going to have sickness put on my body. And, and, and I'm sure that it, Paul is hearing this uh, with the people and this relation from Jesus to Diana. And, and if I don't try hard enough or if I don't do enough, that Jesus is literally going to hurt me and hurt my family. And so you'll see in Paul's writings that he completely opposes this throughout all six chapters. And then he introduces this idea of a new identity a new identity in christ jesus that once you believe in jesus you have been transformed you become a new person eugene peterson he explains the book of of ephesians and what paul was doing it says paul's exploring the glory of god that gives the church its unique identity and Paul is telling the new believers in Christ, the people who, who have converted, he's telling them that, that they are this new creation. He's telling them literally who you are in Christ Jesus, that you have been completely transformed and you need to know now what you truly have in Jesus. And looking at this book and, and reflecting on my own life, I am now determined to live in 2017 consistent with that which Jesus has granted me. And I pray that you would live consistent with that which Jesus has granted you because it's so relevant to us today. So many times we'll just look and, and we'll have a really bad week and we'll think, does Jesus really love me? Can he look at me and say that he's proud of me? Could he? Am I now an outsider or am I an insider? And we live with fear and worry and expectation, just like the people of Ephesus did almost on a daily basis, but God has completely changed the way that, that we see ourselves and, and our foundation and who we are planted in, which is Jesus Christ, that now we are a part of Jesus' family and that we are completely there and, and nothing's going to change that. And so Paul, he's really focusing on this idea of identity in Christ. And this is a theme that you'll see time and time again, especially in the first two chapters, this idea of, of identity. And Paul, he knows that this, com- this community is going to affect the world. And so he's saying time and time again, you have to remember, you have to know who you are. You have to realize that Jesus is who you find your identity in and how you are seen by God is righteous because of Jesus. And so the question for me this morning to us as we reflect on the people of Ephesus and seeing so many things that relate to us is how do you think about yourself? Do you feel like a lot of the time you're one bad decision away from God cursing you? or really disowning you, or are you not being able to go to church because of, of what you've done, or what you said, or, or being rejected by people, and how do you live your life based off of the, the thoughts and the worldviews that you've come to a conclusion of, and, and really what it does when we think like the people of Ephesus think, uh, you really live a defeated, bitter life, holding on to just the little bit that you have, hoping that God doesn't take it away from you. And Paul says, that is not Jesus at all. Jesus has come to set you free from a life of bondage and fear so that we can live knowing that we have the support of our God and we can go out not just second-guessing, this God, is he proud of me today? Is he with me today? Because Jesus said what? That I will with, be with you always to the very end of the age. And I believe as we look at the four theological emphases of ephesians today and throughout this series talking about being uh what it means that we are transformed i believe that it will change our everyday lives because it will change what you do with your monday and so the first thing that that paul talks about with the church is he's telling the church that you have a superior savior And remember, we're talking about people who relate to Diana as the savior of the entire earth. And so Paul makes it crystal clear that, yes, Diana might be a god, lowercase g. And if that freaks you out, come to our um, next discipleship training class and we go through the um, ancient Far East and what they meant by a god versus the god or Elohim, plural versus Elohim, singular in the Hebrew, which is the god. And little gods Um, so come to that and and it'll make more sense Um, but there's only one true God you might have worshiped Diana but there is one God that we worship and he is amazing and so he says in verses uh, 19 through 21 of chapter 1 it says and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in christ jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And, and we could read verses like this and be like, without context, wow, this is amazing. Like, yeah, God is very cool and he's very powerful. And I'm so glad that he, he's raised up and seated at the right hand in these heavenly places. But when you start to understand, like we're understanding now, the context of why Paul is writing, it's so much more than just that God is big and God is powerful. Um, no, it's that God has come so that you now know how to see yourself. That these people in Ephesus, that they are no longer subject to the same fate as everybody else. He's saying that you have been transferred, that we have been transferred from a kingdom of fear and hate and revenge and malice. Some of us today, we feel like we're in that kingdom. But Paul is saying you need to remember that you have been transferred from that kingdom that you think you live into in to the kingdom which is really your reality which is a kingdom of light and love and forgiveness and that now you serve the true god who is all powerful who has all authority and he has all dominion. And he repeats that going on. It says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age and the one to come. So what he's saying here is that there is no greater name than Jesus. So if this Jesus is the God that you serve, you need to understand that it is no longer a god it is the god and you are now trust um, you're now secure because the god that you believe in which is the true powerful god is reliable that he's trustworthy that you can find rest and peace and stability there and paul he's not preaching optimism And we don't preach optimism, even though I'm an optimistic person and I think it's good to be optimistic. We don't preach optimism. We preach trusting in a God who is good. So that when things happen to me, or to you that don't seem very good, it doesn't change the fact that God is reliable because He has shown Himself before throughout the ages and He will show Himself again and it really it changes the way that I relate to the world that I live in. If I know that God is good no matter what and it's not just this idea of, oh, well, well I'm lucky or, or things are going good, He is still trustworthy even in the midst of a cir- circumstance that I cannot explain. Why? Because I know that he doesn't change, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not like the gods of Greek and Roman mythology that would flip back and forth every single day. He is consistent. And that's why it is so, so emphasized that God never changes throughout all of Scripture, but especially in Ephesians, is because they needed to know that the God that they serve was consistent. That they didn't have to wake up fearing, thinking, well, is it just chance, or fate, or luck, or cursing, or magic, or I've had a good day, knock on wood. Have you ever said that before? No, don't say that, because then things are going to go terrible, and and things are going my way, but, you know, that just means that things are going to start going bad. Because, uh, no, that's that's not God. That's not the God that we serve. He is in control, and He is a superior Savior. And I think in 2017 that we need to allow our emotions to connect to this superior Savior. We need to allow our train of thought and our emotional um, ability to function to to really grab on to the fact that Jesus is consistent and that He's superior to those thoughts in your head that would say that you've been rejected or that you haven't been good enough. Um, God is saying to us, I'm in control. That's what the book of Ephesians says. I am in control. I will always be in control. And I always will be in control. And you can trust in me because I am a good Savior. I am always the same. And our lives have forever been transformed because of him. He shapes us now. So then when I believe that, just like the Ephesians, when they started believing this, the way that they talked, the way that they saw things, the way that they reacted to different situations in their life, they completely changed because they saw the consistency of their Savior. It was no longer, oh, no, what did I do? What did I do that caused this to happen? It was like, no, bad things might happen, but my God is good. So it's no longer me thinking or worrying that I screwed up, and so now God is attacking me. And Paul's really saying, get over the bunny's foot. He's saying, get over the four-leaf clover that you lost because it's not about that anymore. It's not about Diana. It's about Jesus. So superior Savior. Paul also, he encourages the believers to understand that you have a great salvation, that you have a superior Savior, but you also have a great salvation. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, probably the best words ever spoken on the subject of salvation. It says, for by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Let me read that again. And this is not of your own doing. One more time for emphasis. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Do you know why salvation is so great? It's because of how you got salvation, it's because it's a gift. And if it's not your doing that can make you be saved, it's not your doing that can make you be unsaved. Right? Like you didn't earn it, so you can't really unearn something that you never earned in the first place. I mean, that's how great our salvation is. It says not a result of works so that no one can vote boast and, and I love this because what it's saying is that no one gets to walk in here and say, you know what? I've got this in the bag. I have so much discipline. I have so much focus. I've got a vision board. I've got a mission statement. I've got my Jesus shirt. shirt, shirt Jesus shirt, shirt. I can't even say it. Jesus church shirt, shirt. Jesus church shirt, shirt on. It's not about that, because it's not about you. It's not about me, and I'm not against those things, and we have those shirts, and you can buy one, and not so that we can have more money, but we're going to paint that bus and put a big Jesus shirt thing on there, a Jesus church logo. Man, that is just really hard. You try saying it in front of all you people. Listen, no one gets to come in here saying, with their chest puffed out, saying, I've got this taken care of. Look at me. Because you didn't do a thing. (laughs) It's not about you. And if it was, you'd be in a really bad place. And so would I. Salvation is so great because it really, it levels humanity. It levels every single one of us that we all come in here understanding it is by grace and grace alone. And it is truly a gift of God. And so Paul is saying, listen, Jesus is the reason Jesus is in charge. So this dynamic that you keep falling back into between Diana and Jesus, no way. Not even close. And they should never even be mentioned in the same sentence. Because what you believed before was fake and it was hollow and it was not real. And now you serve a real living God who was always in control and is always in control. And guess how you got to this great, awesome place in life with Jesus? It's because of Jesus. It's not because of you. It's because of God. So you don't have to worry because God saved you. Why? Because he's God. Because that is his great love like we talked about, and it's going to, and Paul's going to go further on and say that later on, and and so I believe that this is, this is how we should live, and when we live this way, it will change us, because when you wake up on a Monday morning, and you say, and you know that God is in control, and that you, God, are really good at being in control, And that you've gifted me with salvation, you have called me your own, then I can live with a confidence that I never had before. That my salvation is in him, that it's not in me. That your salvation is in him, it's not in you. The third thing that Paul um, speaks to the church about is that we have to understand that we are surrounded Um, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2, and we're just going to read through the scriptures a little bit. And this is actually in the message, um, verses 11 through 20. This is what it says. It says, But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you were outsiders to God's way, um, to God's way has no idea of any of this. Didn't know the first thing about the way God works Hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenant and promises in Israel. Hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who are once out altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that there. We're now, that we are now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. Now, the culture of the early church was really the, the dynamics and the, the really headbutting was between the Jews and the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And that's not our issue today, but the Scripture, it speaks to the same ideas in our local community, that no matter what your background is, no matter what your ethnicity or your upbringing, that you are welcome in the body of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. It doesn't matter who you are or how much money you have or where you came from. You are all together in the body of Christ, that you belong here, that you are accepted here. And, and you read scriptures like this and you think, oh my gosh, if we could just get this That could really heal a lot of what we deal with in America, right? I mean, Paul is saying something that is so relevant to us that this is Jesus. And and what he does is he takes those who, who are in solidarity and he brings them into a family. That we are, in fact, surrounded. That we have a body of Christ. And he says, and he tore down the wall that used to keep us um, at, e- at distance from each other. I and mean, the, the church is where we pull down those divides. That's what Paul is pleading, that these people who were separated, God is, uh, Paul is saying that now God has brought us all together and how we find that reconciliation with, e- with each other is through the body of Christ. And we can find healing and love and forgiveness here. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. He's talking about a transformed person, a new way of living life together instead of separate. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him we both share the same spirit and have access to the same father. That's plain enough, isn't it? I'm saying, can I get any more basic than that? We're, we're all one now. We're, we're all together. You are no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. And this is so beautiful. You belong here. There's one thing that I pray that we can understand in 2017 is that no matter where, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, you belong here. You belong in the body of Christ. Paul is saying you all belong together. That this is the will of God. Jesus made up the church. We didn't make up the church. Jesus did. And Paul is saying you belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. God's building his church. That's what this is saying. We don't build his church. God builds his church. And so... Church, if he's building it and it's for him, for Jesus, then really it's not about us, right? It's not about me. It's not about you. We don't, we don't set up our songs on Sunday morning or our sermons on Sunday morning as a menu hoping that it will appease people. We do what we believe that God's calling us to do because he's building his church and he luckily allows us to be a part of that and and so he uses us to build what he's doing but it's God that's building it and when you see what God wants to build through the book of Ephesians, it's a safe place, an accepted place for all people. It is a home. It is a place where you feel like you can always go back to, a place where you believe that they will always uh, welcome me back here. It's a place to regroup after failure. It's not a place to be rejected after you do something wrong. It's a place to restore after being emptied. It's a place to grow and become healthy. And the who does that stuff? It's you and it's me. It's a place for hurting humanity to come. And everyone is welcome here. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You are welcome in the house of God because it's what God's doing. It's not about entertainment. It's about building a home and he uses you and me to do it and we are his church. It says he is using us all irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets from the foundation. Now he's using you. Now he's using me fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. I mean, just imagine coming out of the pagan worldview that these people came from. Now you find a worldview full of life with a God who is true, with a God who is consistent, who is in a building, who is part of a church that reflects that. He calls us to reflect what he is doing. What he is building not to be like the temple in ephesus where if you didn't do the right things you would be cursed and rejected but he is building a church a family of believers a place where we will embrace where we will reflect the god and it's so fundamentally different than what comes outside of god's plan and what we see in the book of ephesus and what they had believed so so one two three and four God establishes where you sit and how you are set with God. So the Bible says that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. And sitting is a posture of completion. You sit down when you are done. What this is saying is that it's over. It's done. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because his work is complete. Salvation is complete. Sin has been defeated. Your sins have been covered when you accept Jesus into your life. And I think just like the people of Ephesus, if we would only believe this and wrap our brains around this idea that we are right before God, that we are loved by God, if we could only understand that it is finished. And if it is finished, if it's truly finished, it means it can't be unfinished, right? Finished means finished. And if God's saying it's finished, then it really is finished. If I say something's finished, like I'm working on um, the house that we just got, and I could be like, hey, I'm done. And then Michelle was like, would be like, well, what about that? And I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm not finished yet. <laughs> then it's not finished i got to keep going. But when God says it's finished, it truly, 100% is finished. We live our lives, and a lot of times we think, well, uh, it's finished, but I don't think it's 100% finished. I can't truly sit yet. I can't truly rest yet because I don't really believe. I say it's finished, but I don't act like it's finished. God is calling us in 2017 to act like it's finished. To live your life, to speak, to see, to have a mindset that it has been finished in Christ Jesus, not by yourself, not by what I can do, but by the work of God, so that none of us can boast. God is telling the Ephesians from the very beginning, this is what it says, and I'm gonna read it again, Ephesians one three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Where is my place? It's in Christ. What is my standing? It's in Christ. What does that mean? It means that I am in Him. So when the Father looks down at me, who He sees is the Son, that I am set in Him, that I am established in Him. I'm not established in my own works or my own doings, but I am established in view of of God the Father through Christ Jesus. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2.5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. How does that affect your Monday? That I've been made alive together with Christ. Christ. Because when I wake up tomorrow morning and and I feel defeated again, or I feel frustrated, or I'm overcome with fear or depression, or I feel powerless in this world that surrounds me. When you read the book of Ephesians and you wonder, how does that affect my Monday? It's because what God is saying through Paul, putting pen to paper, is absolutely not. You don't have to feel that way anymore. Because that's not the transformed you, that's the old you. that's what you used to be, and, and you've fallen back into the state where you think that you're your old person, but you're this new person, so this is like dream over here. And this is reality, and you need to live in reality because reality is so much better than that garbage dream state that you think you're still in. Why would you want to go back there when you wake up in the morning, realize that you are already transformed and you get to live your life with all the benefits of knowing that Jesus has a plan for you and that he loves you and he sees you as great and perfect in his sight. That's how we should live when you wake up and have that mindset. It will affect your Mondays. It'll affect your life and the way that you see things and the way that you process things. And when thoughts come into your head, you can say, ha, that's funny because that's the way I used to live, but I don't live that way anymore because I already have been transformed. And the difference between thinking I'm being transformed and I have been transformed and I'm just walking out that process of already being transformed is just the fact that I know that that's how I was, but it's not how I am. So I can live every single day in the blessings and in the knowledge that God has a great plan for me and sees me in him and him alone. I don't live in my sin anymore. My thought process isn't, well, I'm in my sin, but I'm trying to get out of it. My thought process is, I'm already out of it. And I might fall back into this dream state every once in a while, but it's not who I am and it's not who you are. And if you come in here and and you think, and you know what, over the next like seven, eight, nine weeks, we're going to continually talk about the fact that you are transformed in Christ Jesus, that you already have been transformed, that you are a new person, that old things have passed away, that all things have become new. And I pray by the end of this, this sermon even, but the end of this series, that we will get to the point where we can live knowing every single day, every step that we take, every word that we speak is a transformed person. That I am not the old me, I am the new me. And I will rehearse this day after day after day that the point is that Jesus already did it. It is finished so I can walk knowing that it's been finished and I'm not having to to deal with, with that junk in my life anymore because he's made me a new person. So in 2017, I believe that you and I can sit believing in the new person God already has made me and it will make us live victorious. It'll make us live expecting good things from a good God and in difficult times, we'll be able to walk through it. I pray that will be your reality. I pray that that can be my reality. I pray that we would live in the peace of God, that we live in the rest of God, that we live with the hope of God. Would you pray with me?